What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I am your host, Daniel Priori, and today I have a very special guest. Um, he is a doctor of psychology. He went to Kent State, Florida Atlantic University, Auburn University, many, many, many schools that I would not be accepted to. So listen, he has an amazing story. I'm joined by Dr. Justin Pooter. That's right. You nailed it. I'm great. I'm just impressed you got the poo in the pooter in the last name. Like I said before, we were talking a little bit before. I'm a poo enthusiast, so there's no poo that's going to get past me. <laughs> You're not going to avoid the poo. I would never avoid a chance to say poo on a podcast ever, ever. You're also a, the host of a mental health podcast yourself. Drop in with Dr. J. I had to ask, uh, was there any you know, like copyright stuff you had to go through with Dr. J? I've been dodging it. I feel lucky. Like when people ask about it, I just say, I'm the not as cool Dr. J. I'm not trying to be the Dr. J. I'm the not as cool Dr. J. Well, I would say two things. One, I think you're just as, if not cooler than Dr. J. There's just no way. I won't accept that. But in my eyes, in my field, I think you know a little more about uh, mental health than Dr. J. So that puts you a little bit above him. But then I remember that amazing layup that he did. And then he goes right back over you. The style, the generation breaking talent. I mean, there's just no, I can't compete with any of that. You have amazing hair. He had amazing hair. So, you know, there's a couple of things there that, you know, it could be a back and forth battle all the time. But yeah, uh, doctor, uh, people that earn their doctorate, I have immense respect for. It's just something that my mom, I've said it on the show a couple episodes before. My mom said, if somebody went to school and earned their doctorate, you call them doctor. So I'm going to have to call you Dr. J. It's weird because since I'm a therapist primarily, right? Everyone calls me Justin. Some of them call me Jay, but mostly Justin. So when you work in the academic setting, it's just like, it's an afterthought that everyone's just going to call you doctor. But for me, it, it's been a minute, really, since anyone's called me that. So now, see, I'm here. I'm here to remind you that all the hard work you did in school has finally paid off because now you have me calling you doctor. It was just for this moment right here. I appreciate it. Not for anybody else. No. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because the only other reminder I have is the debt I collected. Oh. <laughs> that's the one positive that I have from not going to college, really. It's like I went to community college. So like for me, like I didn't get crushed by like, I, I can't imagine that. Yeah, it's an unfortunate consequence of like pursuing this rich knowledge base in a specific thing for a long period of time. It's like, why is it set up in a way that you have to go in crazy debt for that? I mean, uh, bless your soul. It, it makes no sense. 
it, it really doesn't. It doesn't make sense. I, there's just got to be a better system, which is a whole yeah. different thing to tackle. But yeah, that would be a whole nother episode. Uh, listen, so I've uh, obviously went over your backstory. Uh, my producer, Sam, who's fantastic at what she does. I listened to your episode of your podcast with Sophie Gray, but I got to hear your origin story. If you can, can you share with the audience a little bit of your origin story? Because it honestly goes into how you got inspired to get into the mental health field. Yeah. Yeah. Like so many therapists and psychologists and mental health professionals out there, I had early life trauma. And the way that formed for me is uh, my dad passed away when I was 19 and my brother passed away a couple years after that. Um, my dad died of brain cancer. My brother died of a drug overdose. But even before that, you know, my dad had been struggling with brain cancer most of his life. He had to have an emergency surgery. Uh, I would have been in like third or fourth grade when that happened. And th back then, you know, there wasn't, there was chemo, but chemo was like newer in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. So they just went in and removed part of his brain, just like snap. And it's not to say they don't do that nowadays for certain kinds of brain cancer or brain tumors, but that's a drastic surgery. Yeah. Just to have like part of your brain taken out. Let's just take that out straight away. And that's what they did, you know, back in the nineties. But so I would see my dad struggle with a lot of health issues and have a lot of memory issues. Like cognitive stuff too. Like, yeah, he had a hard time remembering words and, uh, just like sequencing events and like learning about the brain and understanding over time that area of the brain that they just took out. It makes sense. You know, a lot of your working memory comes from that region. That's wild. It's really wild to think. And overall, he adapted. He continued to work. But like, if you knew him kind of before and after, there's a significant change there. Is there any part of the brain that's like, uh, like regenerative? There's a lot of interesting studies on that. I mean, some great case studies. Like there's a guy, I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but I think it's fascinating. There's a guy who just randomly was having headaches or whatever and went in for an MRI. This was a couple years ago in the news. I believe he was over in England. But what they basically found is he didn't, 90% of his gray matter didn't exist. Like when you looked at the MRI of his brain, it was just like he had a little bit of gray matter that went along like the outside of his skull. That was all he had. And he was living a relatively normal life. Wow. With almost no gray matter. Like what in the gray matter is like what you think of when you think of the brain, when you see it, he basically had just a little bit and lived a completely normal life. So it's like, your brain is very adaptive, but it's still when you go through a big trauma of just removing a big part of it. I always think about like the human body too. And it's just like all the stuff we need to regenerate, like can't, <laughs> you know, it's like fingernails, fingernails are cool. Beards are cool. Right. Hair is cool. Especially, you know, while you can grow it, it's like, ah, oh, it'd be cool. Like if like, you know, something had in my hand and it can grow back, that would be great. Like starfish. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? But listen, uh, like I always say sometimes on the show, it's like everybody's trauma is different. And I'd like to see where people come from. I like to see how they got there because like you said in your podcast about yeah, an origin story, we really all do have an origin story. I'm very close to my brothers. I see a lot of similarities in your brother that uh, with one of my brothers, my brother, Michael. In high school, he had a very hard time. He acted out a lot, sold drugs, 
did drugs, had a very difficult uh, high school experience. And we talk about it on our show too. But when I was hearing about your brother, you know, I couldn't help but think about my brother who, you know, has since, you know, was able to change a lot of, uh, of his ways. But, you know, he still struggles with some things. And then I got to the part where you're talking about your panic attacks, which I'm very familiar with. Do you remember your first panic attack? I don't know that I remember the first, but I remember a lot of the initial, like some of the more memorable ones. Like I remember if it wasn't the very first one, it was in the top three that I was in the middle of high school. It's always the last place often you'd want to have a panic attack is where your stress levels go up and your mind starts racing. And I know I was listening to you talking about your panic attacks an episode ago as well, where you're describing it. It's like, yeah, you feel like you just got in a fight, but I was yeah in the middle of an auditorium in high school. To be honest, I don't even remember what it was for, but we were just like sitting in the audience and it's like, you know, I started feeling that chest pain and my heart racing. And then my mind took over I hyperventilated. Next thing I know, I'm in a wheelchair in front of the entire high school being carted out. And it's like for a high schooler, like nightmare scenario. And just like, you know, your popularity hit like three points down, probably, you know, like your popularity scores, like your credit score in high school. Right. And then you just become the heart attack kid. Your heart attack boy. Heart attack. Exactly. Exactly. Because especially then this is like 2001. Like no, no one... Growing up in the Midwest in the early 2000s, late 90s, nobody talked about mental health. No, very retro. That's a very retro panic attack. Very Tony Soprano of you. Which is sad because plenty of people were, were having panic attacks, right? Plenty of people had anxiety and depression and bipolar. But it's interesting, the older I get, the more you understand generational differences of like growing up, nobody was saying I have anxiety. No one was saying I have panic disorder. I didn't learn those words until I was like 25. Right. And I'm 33. But it's so wild to think, right? And you had had these experiences before that, that you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Because my thing was when I was growing up, my parents, God bless them, not big fans of doctors. Uh, You know, very Italian, very Puerto Rican, not really into it. So that was for physical things. Like if I broke my finger, my dad would be like, what are they going to do for it? They're going to put it in a splint, like whatever. Take some Tylenol, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's what it was. And if it wasn't on the surface, it didn't really make sense for them to like go talk to a doctor about it. They thought we could handle it here and let's try to figure it out before we get like other people involved. And I think a part of that goes to the stigma of mental health for them, but also they don't want me to go through it. They don't want me to get like a diagnosis and end up, you know, having to grow up with that. I I was not diagnosed with bipolar until like I was like 29 years old. Wow. That's how long it took me to get to that point, you know, and I had to start go seeing doctors and, you know, therapy and all that stuff, cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I had some kind of panic attacks when I was younger, definitely anxiety. But when you were going through that in high school, what did the school do for you? Nothing. See, that's why I always go back to the school because that's where you are 10 hours out of the day. Right. You know, it's almost like they know you better than like kind of your parents at the time because they're with you all the time. Right. And it's impossible for me to explain now, like having literally been in school my whole life studying mental health, like no one 
had ever mentioned depression, anxiety, panic. Like it wasn't in the language growing up in Wadsworth, Ohio in the late 90s, early 2000s. So like they were literally like, this kid's having heart attacks. Even though, of course, like, and I was listening to your story, same kind of deal. You go to the ER, they check you out and they're like, nothing's wrong with you. Oh, like a hundred times. And you just are repeating it. I remember the thing I remember so vividly is the breaking point where it's like I had gotten everything checked out, you know, the brain, the lungs, the stomach. I had to. Right. And then you're, I was on the heart. I remember this really like elder, the the nice way I'm going to put it is elder cardiologist. He like looked up at me after he said everything was fine and he looked at me and he goes, why are you doing this? Yeah. I just started bawling. Like I'm 13, 14 years old. Amazing bedside manner. (laughs) Why are you doing this? And, but it was a weird breaking point because I remember my mom coming to my side and being like, we'll figure this out, whatever. But I was like, I don't, I don't want this shit to be happening. Like, I don't, I know. I don't want this at all. Was your father sick at that time? He was. And then your brother was struggling at that time. He was. He was in God and out. God bless your fucking mom, dude. Mom has always, always been the real hero in everything. Like, I don't. God bless that woman. She She's endured so much and balanced so much. Like, and again, like, I go on and on about my mom, but she was the one. No, that's a good thing. Exactly. Exactly. Again, you got to be grateful for the parts of your life, again, that were like glue because all of us have something. Like all of us got something in our life that kind of held us up. It might've been a friend. It might've been, you know, an aunt, it might've been somebody, but we do. Sometimes we push those people away or don't recognize them as much as we should. But my, my mom, from that point, she was like, we're going to try something completely different. I'm going to take you to this therapist. Literally. I'd never heard of someone going to a therapist. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell is that? And I remember the first session, I think I said like 30 words. Like I was just staring at this woman and she was just firing questions at me. And it's like, I ended up going to her like 10, 12 times and like literally helped my panic so much. And I kind of got on the other side of controlling it. But I remember in the beginning just being like, I don't even know what we do here. Were you down to go? I was down because I was so, and maybe you relate to this. I was so sick of feeling like I was dying. Yeah, I would try anything. Like you, you ever see like Man on the Moon with Jim Carrey? No, 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 no. So, like he plays Andy Kaufman and like at the end they're like trying everything and he like goes to like a like a foreign country to try like any kind of medicine to like get better. I was at that point where I was like, yeah, I'll fly to like Mexico right now and just have like somebody bless my body. I was like, I'll do anything at this point. That's good that you were receptive though at like fifth, what was it, 15? I think I was like 14. I would have been a freshman in high school. Yeah. That's a tough thing to do though, because when you're young, especially when we were young, mm-hmm. nobody wants to be known as the crazy kid. Well, a hundred percent. Nobody wants to be known as, you know, crazy Danny or crazy Justin. That's right. Because it stays with you and it doesn't go anywhere. And the mind is very manipulative. At some point, you're going to think you're crazy. If enough people call you crazy. It's easy sort of post high school. And I work with teens mainly as a therapist, but you can be so removed from sort of the high school climate that you forget. Like if somebody is calling you a name every day, if you become known as the crazy heart attack kid that goes to therapy, 
Like if that's really the tagline that people just associate and say to you, like, how does that not wear you down? How does that not hit your ego? And just speaking for me, like that was one of the main reasons why, like, I didn't go see guidance counselors when I was having bad times in high school. Right. I didn't want to go because everyone was going to be like, there goes crazy Dan. There you go. Crazy Dan things. And he gets pulled out of class to like, go talk to someone. This kid's fucking nuts. So I was already battling like a stigma of like, I just didn't want my peers to think I was nuts. Exactly. And that's where people can get really eye rolly with breaking stigma and mental health and stuff. But like when you have had that experience where it's like, you can't even mention what you're going through out of fear that you're going to be labeled as crazy, you know, amongst your peers and your entire environment. It's like, that's what we talk about when you talk about stigma of like, you are putting yourself in a box and living there because the alternative of coming out of it feels worse. Yeah. And the box is very small. It's not like a big box where you can hang out and like have cool stuff and a TV in there. It's like, you can barely go to the bathroom in there. It's terrible. It smells. It It smells. It stinks. There's no shower. It's a very small box and it's not enjoyable. And yet that feels like the better alternative. Oh, for most of the time. Yeah. It's like, you know, you make it, it it becomes your safe space at that point. So you're 14, you're going in and out of this doctor's office. Did you kind of have a breakthrough moment when you were a teenager or did it happen later on, like closer to college? With panic specifically, I definitely had the breakthrough moment. I like remember that like it happened yesterday. She didn't call it meditation. She didn't call it mindfulness. She's literally like, we're just going to do something together here. And she had me lay down. And essentially, she did like a guided meditation. And again, nowadays, people are like, whoopty crap. Like kids are doing guided meditation in kindergarten, which again, I love. Like teach kids some basic skills. Yeah, that's kind of fire. Yeah. I would have been way calmer if I had guided meditation in kindergarten. Like I can use this breath and tune into this music and get out of my head for five minutes. Like these are great skills that we, we can learn like any skill. But I remember within minutes, like just two minutes into it, like I had opened my eyes because I was so excited. Like it was the first time I experienced peace in months. That's awesome. Like I felt the pressure from my chest lift off. Like I wasn't in those minutes, like I wasn't thinking, oh my God, what if, what if in any second I have a panic attack or heart attack or, yeah, you know, living in that fear that you do. Those, the worst, it was uh, like uh, waiting for it to happen. Exactly. It was worse than when it actually happened. Right. Right. The fear and the anticipation is just like. Your muscles are all tense. Your jaw hurts. Your chest hurts. Everything was terrible. So you have this breakthrough moment. Was there like any talk of like cognitive behavioral therapy back then? No, no. Like it wasn't, that language wasn't even there. Or if it was, it was for people who lived in New York City. I don't know. It wasn't in, it wasn't in the Midwest. (laughs) That's what I'm saying too. It's like at that point, it was like a regional thing. Yes. If you really do think about it, it's like, hey, like, yeah, we're like super progressive New York. And it's like, we have like, whatever, 8 million people here. Like we got to figure out names for stuff. Right. Like I can't imagine being in like these quiet states and having panic attacks. I feel like it's more stigmatized there. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think these like cultural and regional differences, they still exist. Like, Oh, for sure. 
I, my tattoo artist is Russian. And of course there's a lot of stuff going on Russian with Russia right now, but we had great conversations when he's doing all this work on my arm of, he's like, I just, he's like in my culture and country, this doesn't exist. No, you're not allowed. He's like, there's just no, no one talks about this. Like there's no mental health, but like, I went to school in the deep South at Auburn and there can be sort of the same thing. Like if you have a problem, you work it out in church, in your community. And it's not to say again, yeah. differences aside, like that can be helpful for some people. And no, I love God, but you know, it's like, I might need a doctor though. <laughs> God, God needs to grace this doctor that's here and, and work through them. Right. Let's just blend God and science together and make a nice God science sandwich. Exactly. It sounds like the perfect blend. Yeah. Why not? But for you, but for you at that time, you know, it's like, Hey, it's like, Hey man, just pray on it. Pretty much. Like I, you know, the town I grew up in was very religious and conservative. And again, in the Midwest and these kind of country suburb towns, like that's what you got. Like, that's what it is. Oh yeah. It's not like our biggest city. The closest biggest city was Cleveland and Cleveland, like, believe it or not, has come a long way, but Cleveland in 2000, in the late nineties, it's not a city. Besides like the rock and roll hall of fame, like that was about it. Pre-LeBron too. So like there was no economic upswing at that point. Nothing. The only reason you went in the city was for a sports game. Like, and again, this pre-LeBron, but like, and that was like to watch them lose. Yeah. Like hundred percent watch them lose hundred percent. The Indians were good in the nineties, right? Mid nineties. Yeah. Mid nineties. You know, like I remember watching like all that stuff, but um, yeah, like it, it's just, I never really took a second to think like mental health care in Ohio versus like a suburban uh, town right outside of New York city is going to be drastically different. Drastically. That's the privilege I've gotten from like moving around, going to school in sort of different States, some more rural, some more, of course I live in South Florida now, which feels like an endless beach city, which I love it down here. Love South Florida. My fiance is from uh, Fort Lauderdale. So uh, I love Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. yeah I'm, so I'm down there all the time. And then my brother lives in Miami. So like I'm there like every other month. It's fantastic, but it's it's so weird. Now I've lived here for eight years. And it's like when I go back to Ohio, it's like you're still like, oh yeah. Like again, it just slaps you in the face of the access to things, the geographic differences, just when you're in a condensed area with a lot of people and a lot of education, of course, like in the Northeast, there's a lot of predominant you know, excellent. From New York to like Massachusetts, there's just like the most like prestigious schools in the world. It's easy to dismiss the impact that has in the community and the people that live there. And the trickle down, how it just, it gets to the kids too. Like, you know, like they're way more progressive, you know, academically than someone is going to be in Iowa. It's just how it is. You know, it's yeah. like, I'm not trying to call anybody dumb or stupid. It's just like, no, if Harvard and Yale, like around, you know, BU, you know, it's a NYU, Columbia. It's like, you know, all these people have come here and settled. Not all the people are from New York and Massachusetts. It's just where they came to go to school. And a lot of them settle down and that's just how it is. There, There is a, a ripple effect of education that honestly is going to happen uh, regional, regionally. Absolutely. And, and I get asked all the time, like, what do you think the impact of social media has had on mental health? And I often to this point say it allows people globally to be connected and informed 
where it's like, if you're in Iowa and you're following, you know, some great, you know, therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, doctor, like I do, like most people I follow, like they're experts in different fields. Or if I need a good laugh, of course, I'm for sure. Kinds of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. You got to have like, you know, it's like church and state. You know what I mean? The balance of it all. Work and laugh. Work and laughter. They go hand in hand. It's true. It really has made people obviously have more access, but also access to people that also struggle with what they go through. Because there really is a sense of you really do feel alone, especially when you're going through the initial, like, I, I call it like the terror phase because like my body is just full of terror in that moment in my life. I, I've never been more scared. When something's happening inside your body, it's scarier than exterior for me. Mm -hmm. If there were like 10 people that wanted to fight me, like I'd feel more comfortable than when I'm having a panic attack because now it's a stroke, right? Now it's a heart attack. Now it's a, uh, I'm having a brain hemorrhage. All of these things that go through your mind and you have no idea what's going on. So now you need to go to a doctor and have them shoot laser beams on you and figure this whole thing out. I, I went to the doctor so much that I could have charged like a, a cell phone if I just like shoved it in my ass. Like I'm just being honest with you. The radiation. I was a radioactive human being. I was like, like, like Spider-Man. <laughs> But I, for, in my brain, I had to do it though. Right. You had to check all the boxes off to make sure I had it wasn't to. something. And then yeah. having doctors yeah. be like, yo, your brain's good, dude. You're you're good. Your heart's fantastic. Yeah. Hey man, your abdomen, you're like, you know, there's nothing going on in there. What's going on in here though? Exactly. Exactly right. And then, but you're alluding to something that is definitely true. Once we know what it is, when we know the name of it, we connect with other people who have it. We look at those symptoms and be like, damn, that's me. Yeah. Now you know what it is. It's not as scary. That's why when it's like, it's a physical thing, you look at your arm and you got like a rash, like you might be like, what kind of rash is this? Right. But you can still see it. It's like, I'm going to go to the doctor or a doctor will see it and just be like, all right, put this like extra strength ointment on it and then we're good. And that's the thing with mental health that is so layered because it, yeah, it's starting in the mind. Like you said before too, it's like, like how you were talking about that guy's gray matter, right? Exactly. Yeah. I wish, and maybe at some point there will like some kind of test where you could actually see like trauma, like not physical trauma. We're, we're almost there. Science almost is so there. amazing. Humans are the greatest creation in, in the history of anything. When you think about all the things we've invented and discovered. It's and not even close. The human not. body is the greatest create, uh, invention ever. It's completely fascinating. But yeah, Danny, we're, we're getting real close, man. Like these, these neuroscience studies using fMRI where they're locating parts of the brain that are involved in depression, trauma, anxiety, OCD. I mean, it feels like every week there's a new article that comes out that's like, this region of the brain, I was just reading one the other day that was about OCD in particular of like, oh, we, we've narrowed in of what part of the brain is really active. And that's amazing. Like as soon as we figure out, I'm saying as soon, like it's that easy. Uh, like as soon as we figure out like the physiological, like part of it, yep. just in terms of treatment and how to, how to, you know, attack these things, uh, no pun intended with the panic attacks, but like once we get in there, you know, because I feel like people need to, like you and I, we went and got checked out. It's like, we needed to see something physical. Yeah. You know, I was like, tell me like my, my heart sucks. So like, I could just go on with life and like, no, like my heart sucks. 
this is the reason right yeah so, and right. then i can just be like oh like uh, i have like a like a bad and like ejection rate or something it's like I, now i know you know i think the closer we get there too like th- that's so fascinating so much that, it, that we're going to be able to know that one day and that day is coming quick because we i mean we've been using electric shock therapy for a long time for and we were using it for things we shouldn't have been using it for in the beginning but yeah it stuck around with depression because what we know is like hey for people who are chronically depressed and in the severe range and it's just no other treatments are working when we stimulate and activate the entire brain something happens with these people that switches get turned on that weren't before but now like what i always explain to people is we have a greater understanding of what specific regions of the brain we want to stimulate. I definitely foresee we're going to be at the point where it's like, yeah, you're getting little impulses put here. You you might get a little thing put there. And it's like, you're going to have much better balance of like this region of your brain just needs a little bit more activation. This one, not so much, but it's wild to think. Sign me up. Yeah. Sign me up. Right. Right. I will be a guinea pig for that. If they were like, hey, listen, like there's this chip that can like really like reduce like your depression levels. And it's like, all right. So like I don't have to take this pill every day. Like exactly. I'll do it. That's the next thing. That's that's definitely coming. Cause I mean, in essence, that the pill is trying to do that, right? Yeah, for sure. It's trying to chemically manipulate what areas of the brain get activated, what hormones get released. And, but if you had just a little, you know, a little implant in a region of the brain and it could be stimulated just, just like that. I think it would also help with like people's, you know, expression too, because a lot of us have a hard time expressing what is really going on with us. Cause a lot of times we don't fucking know. It's hard to put into words. It's hard to put into words. Like, you know, you're a very educated man. You could articulate a sentence a lot better than a non-educated person. But you guys could be feeling the same things. I think that, yes, that's the privilege I've gotten, especially of learning psychological language, emotional language. You know, bad words and shit. You know what I mean? Like, this is what it is. A lot of time with the feelings wheel. Which, Which exact feeling are you feeling, Justin? And I had to go to the feelings wheel and name it specifically. Do you feel when you're working with, like you said that you work primarily with youth, right? Yeah, I I got clients across the age, but mostly teens. So let's keep it in the youth because they are the future, as corny as that sounds. Do you feel that a lot of times when they're in there, like they're like emotionally suppressing themselves, even in treatment? Is that something that you see from the beginning where it's like, I have to try and get them to speak more about what they're actually feeling? Some, some for sure that that is the exact mechanism that they are stuffing it down. They come from a family where, again, you're not allowed to have emotional expression. It's not a thing like, you know, don't talk that way. I don't want to see you depressed, even with anxiety. It's like, well, just don't think about it. Like they're being actively taught and modeled from their culture, their family, stuff that shit away. So for some, definitely. So I feel like even in your case, though, like when you were a kid, you didn't want to do because your parents already had so much stress already. That was a huge part. A hundred percent. You know, you you didn't want to be like, now I'm just going to add to like making my parents life worse. And that's when we talk about family roles of like how that impacts your mental health. 
Cause you, you know, even if no one said to you what your role is in the family, like I kind of knew quote unquote, I was the good kid. Like my, you know, my brother's out there. He was older than me by only a year and a half, but he was out there breaking the law, you know, yeah. doing drugs, selling drugs. Like no one had to tell me I knew that was my role. I fell into that too. Cause like my brother, Michael was getting in trouble. My brother, Jared had a kid at 16. All right. Well, this one has the least amount of problems. So like, he's the, like the good one, but I'm over here and they're like, your son's fucking nuts. You know what I mean? Like he's playing football. Like, you know, I, I lived a very stereotypical high school life. Like, you know, like I played three sports, you know, I had no problem hanging out with, you know, girls. I lived my life. I was a popular kid, but I was just like, shh having these fucking weird attacks and shit just having manic episodes our lives are very paralleled yeah it's just you have four degrees and like i'm over here like i tell fart jokes for a living the difference is i went obsessive with let me try to fix myself how much of your college not only like to help other people because obviously that's what you do now but how much of this was just like fix your own brand Anybody that tells you in the beginning that that's not the majority of it is lying. Yeah. Like anybody in the beginning when you're like, you know, I took my first psych 101 class and I was hooked. If you're really not saying like, I'm not applying this to me, you're a liar. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's very true because I went, when I went to community college, I took psych 101. And the only reason I took it is because it was like, I'm fucking nuts. It's <laughs> like, hold on, let me just figure out like, if I'm nuts or maybe there's something going on here. Yeah. You, you, you want, want to answer? Yeah. And then it's, it's just so easy to be like labeled as label yourself crazy. Yeah. This is the downside of sort of like the self-diagnosis route, which I also get asked a lot because like Dr. Google, baby, you're a Dr. Google. And you know, I put it, you put out a little TikTok video for like 60 seconds of like, Hey, here are some signs of generalized anxiety. So many people watch it and be like, that's me hundred percent. I just diagnosed myself. I have generalized anxiety disorder. It's like, well, these are the limits to things because you may hear something, a symptom, and immediately be like, yep, yep, 100%, where you sit down with a mental health professional. When they really start asking you questions about that symptom, it may not be generalized anxiety. It may be panic disorder. It may be a specific phobia. Yes. It could even be OCD. But that's the problem with this, this other side of the generation of everybody has everything where it's like you, you can't diagnose yourself off TikTok. Right. You, you can gather information. I said, go to a person who went to school for this. You know, it's like, don't, don't go on TikTok and give yourself, uh, you know, a mental illness. It's just not the right thing to do. You know, and also it just like, I'm a big fan of where we as people have come in terms of fighting the stigma, but it's almost like oversaturated at certain points when it's like, listen, it's like, even when people are like, oh my God, like my OCD is acting up. Like I try not to get like offended and stuff, I'm, but I will say, I'm like, oh, like did a doctor diagnose you with that? You know, because it's like, now we're, we're trivializing what it's like to have obsessive compulsive disorder. There's been some good th that I've noticed like in the past year, it's people really pushing back against that of like, listen, COVID has been hard on all of us. Yeah. And COVID has raised the awareness that all of us have this magical thing called mental health. Right. Where again, some people are just like, I don't have mental health. Like I'm cool. And it's like COVID stressed us all out, took away our coping strategies. We all had to adapt on the fly. Many people struggled with mental health for the first time in their lives. But on the other side of that, again, you don't have everything. No, no, no. It's 
you can feel sad and not have depression. Mm. And that's your sadness is valid as hell. Can you say that again? So people can hear that. (laughs) You can be sad, but not have depression. And you can be stressed and not have anxiety. It's so important to understand that of I I love this new era we're in where people are open and talking about what they're experiencing. For sure. The problem is people have grabbed these big buzzwords and say, for sure, I'm depressed. I have depression. It's like you may be sad or you may be in a low. That does not mean you struggle with depression. And I've been guilty of that. You know, who hasn't? But I once I started going to, to a doctor and finding and you know a doctor who has studied the human brain for years it opened my eyes to what kind of like terminology i do use because even like using like words like crazy like it could be very dismissive to like what somebody's going on you know you're not taking in the factors of trauma and and all these things but in your line of work how many times do you have to tell people stop with the buzzwords often Often, well, because this and it's is not what to I be know. a dick again. No, no, it's it's not to be. I think in this, uh, this is where I hope it's going to go. We've gone from like, again, never talking about mental health to sort of swinging. I feel like the pendulum swung far the other way, where it's just like everybody wants to have the sticker label of some diagnosis. To you clinging to a label isn't actually going to help you in the long run understand how to get better. Mm. Like it's, it can become a shield, which it's not to invalidate the people out there who are like, no, this is, I'm experiencing my OCD in this moment. But some people will be like, oh, I can't do this because I have OCD. That's my OCD. So I, I certainly can't do, again, I, I can't be around picking up dog poop because I have OCD. Yeah. It's like, no, no. As a mental health professional, the truth is we slowly lean in and move towards things that allow us to step out that comfort zone and stretch from whatever label we do or don't have. Hmm. But there can be, there has been this, my experience as a mental health professional has been, there's been a lot of labeling, which leads to a lot of avoidance of, well, I have this label. So that means I don't, I don't do this, or I don't do that, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. And being a therapist and helping people grow, it's like, no, something could be challenging or hard for you. But in fact, you learning to move towards that thing is exactly how you're going to grow. This is going to make you more gangster. You know, it's just like, you know, like, hey, I did this with this. I'm like, all right, that's that's gangster. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and that's a great thing is but like for you, you know, working with the youth. How is it like how do I word this the right way without making people upset? Good mindful pause. Yeah, Yeah. you got to have them from time to time. You know what I mean? But it's like, how often is it like, dude, not like they don't know anything because I think children are smarter than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. But how often do you have to like just be like, listen, let me just give you like a life lesson. You know, you got to calm the fuck down a little bit. And listen, that's how I say it. Because, you know, for me, you know, when people are talking about like, oh, like my OCD is like this and I'm like that. And it's like, listen, chill the fuck out. This is a long process. Like we're going to figure this out, but you need to chill the fuck out for a second. This gets into the art of therapy. That's what I'm saying. How 
how you come alongside with someone, validate their experience, and yet lead them to the light of this is a long process, but we're taking this one step at a time towards what's going to work for you. And yes, a lot of people come in off the Google, TikTok, Instagram knowledge of, well, I have OCD. So there's just going super hard. There's just nothing I could do. And it's like that. And I feel privileged to be able to sit with them and be like, well, I, I can understand your struggle is this flavor, but there's so much you can do. Right. And that we're going to work towards. And that is literally the entire point, right? It's the entire point of understanding what flavor you might struggle with so you can grow through it. And again, like you put become gangster. I've used to struggle with this. Even you can think about your own struggle with panic or, yeah. or all kinds of things. It's like you can look back where you were and be like, oh, I, I had to face some uncomfortable things. And it doesn't mean I just erase it. Like I'll never have another symptom of that again, which some people think, and I try to correct them on. It's like, it's not to say you'll never, ever have another panic attack again, or you'll never, ever have a depressive episode. But when you really learn and grow and understand yourself, all those things become much more in control. For sure. It's like, I, I think about it like Batman, right? So it's like when Batman first started, he was a little goofy. He was a little more like he beat people up a lot worse than like when he got older. You know, he wasn't great with the cape yet. His suit wasn't where it was. And it doesn't mean that bad guys and villains aren't going to stop coming. But you're just more prepared. Yeah, that's it. So it's just about being more prepared. And, and I'm a big believer myself in, in exposure therapy. You know, when I was going through my panic and anxiety and barely leaving my apartment, I was like, I'm going to go to a comedy club. I'm going to go to a concert. You know, I'm going to go to uh, a sporting event. I'm going to see my friends. I'm going to force myself to do these things because if I can handle it in a place where I don't have 100% control, I can handle it anywhere. That's it. That's it. So, and a lot of people are afraid to take that step. And if you're listening, just do it, man. And you, you can completely pair with a mental health professional to help you through those steps. That's what I'm saying. Which, like you can exactly so much exactly. of it is journaling. Like exactly. I was like Ernest Hemingway when I got diagnosed, you know, like I, I was writing all the time, journaling all the time. And I tell people, uh, there was a book that I read, uh, mastery of anxiety and panic by Dr. David Barlow. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book or not, but should, I've heard of it, but yeah, check really it out. Good. It's awesome. As somebody who was a terrible student growing up, I was, uh, I could have got a doctorate with this book. You're, it's like, it's like workbook, right? It has yeah. exercises. I just think that people yeah, have to understand, like when you're reading books about mental health, read a workbook, yeah. read a workbook, yep. especially if it's your initial, you know, uh, introduction yep. to mental health and what you're going through. Because in my experience, seeing my numbers and my stress levels go from 10 to six, yeah. to four, to two, to yep. zero, then back to one. It helped me train my brain in a sense of the work that I'm doing is statistical and it's also helping me get somewhere. Like I'm seeing like stats, there's change going on. How often do you like give homework in your office? And this is like the boring therapist answer. It really depends because, you know, when, when you're naming something like you are, where I'm working with someone who might have agoraphobia, which is the fear of leaving 
home and fear and having something unexpected, like a panic attack happen again. Many, many people with panic disorder have agoraphobia at some point. And that's why you kind of shut yourself in and you avoid because you don't, you don't want to lose control somewhere. But in cases like that, it's like, if you're not giving homework, you're holding them back of like this week, you're going to down here. Publix is the big growth. I love store. Publix, pub subs all day, oh. chicken tenders, Buffalo. Here we go. Yeah, you know there the you go. You're a South Florida. 100%. You <laughs> pub subs all day. Toss it. Best subs. Best. But that is a very realistic goal of like, you're going to make your way into Publix and you're going to buy an item and you're going to check out. For some people, that is a huge task. They might not be able to check out, but at least they would come next session and be like, I'd be like, how far did you get? And for some people, they remember, I got to the parking lot. I couldn't get out of the car. All right, let's process. Let's talk about, let's, let's talk about what you were experiencing in the car. Cause now we're, we're working forward. Other people, I give them that, that assignment. They walk in the store, they jump in the pub sub line, they get the chicken tendy sub. And they're like, all of a sudden they're like, wow, I'm tolerating it. But you don't know until you're working through the homework of like, what am I going to experience? But we, as you said, we hold ourselves back at different times, but then you, you literally can't grow. No, you don't do anything. And then it grows into like, I tell people, it's like, hey, like, have you ever seen hoarders? Like that started somewhere. You're right. And all of these wild, all these wild, like outlandish shows that you watch on TV and like we're laughing about them and shit. Something psychologically horrible going on here. And it started from somewhere. And a lot for hoarding. A lot of times it's grief. A lot of times it's trauma. Yeah. And it. It, they felt like, again, I must hold on to this to keep this person alive or to feel a little bit better in a moment. And it, it, yeah, it just, it snowballs for people. And that's why I tell people like, as soon as, and I'm sure you could obviously test this, but it's like, whatever you can do, just get your ass in the office, start the process, just like anything else. Reading a book, the hardest thing is starting it. The start. The gym, starting it. Cooking. Starting it. Everything, the hardest part of everything is like starting it. That's like the hardest part because then you start to gain these attributes and you get better at cooking. It's possible to get better at reading. People don't know that. You could become a more productive reader. You could get better at working out. Your body, your heart gets better. So these are just all things like just put your armor on and sharpen your tools is what I try to tell people all the time. And it's hard. For, and I can't imagine in your situation, it's like everybody has like state mandated stuff, right? So like there's like state mandated uh, medication, I'm sure there's, you know, how you prescribe it or there's state mandated, you know, how many people, how much time you have to give certain, you know, but for you, how much of it is trying new things? Is it a lot? Is it a mixture of the old school and the new school for you? Like, are you constantly retraining yourself in terms of your field? Because people think that, you know, you go and get a doctor and it's like you stop going to school. Yeah. Yeah. You're for the rest of your life, you have to do what's called continuing education credits yeah. every single year. And to be honest, you can get lazy with them. But for me, like, my thing from day one, I was curious and interested in human behavior and noticing why is my brother so different than me? Right. Like, why are we so, we grew up in the same damn family. Like we have close to the same biology, of course. Like, why are we so different? And 
I, that interest in human beings and behavior has never gone away. So no, like I'm always interested in getting the new training. I love going to my national conference every year and just going ham with all day trainings because you get the expert of experts at my national conference being like, I invented acceptance and commitment therapy. Come chill with me for two or three days. I'm like, I'm here. Let's chill. Tell me about it. You yeah, know, that's a major flex you know, too. It's amazing. I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm here. Sign me up. Like, that's another thing too, is like, nobody cares about you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're right you know you're it's right. like how often do you just take your work home it's like you probably heard like 15 horrible stories that day you know just like i can't believe this person's dealing with this because as a human being we're going to compare our trauma to other people that's just how human beings work sadly you know a lot of us are comparing to oh this person has more money than me oh this person has a better body than me this person went through this and why am i like this and that person's been through something 10 times harder it's a world where I imagine you have to learn how to not take your work home with you. You do. And it, some of that's impossible. Like I, like I will literally be trying to fall asleep at night. I'll be replaying parts of a session in my head. But what you learn, like especially... Yeah, you guys are nuts still. <laughs> <laughs> the reason we got in this field, right, is often because of our own suffering. Like sure. I, I don't know any... I've never met someone as a mental health professional, I was like, no, nah, I just thought it was kind of cool. Like I I've never had any difficult, like, it's just not, that's not what brings you into the field as a mental health professional. But, but yeah, like I'll, I'll find myself thinking about it like late at night and thinking about like things I could have done differently in therapy. But the truth is you, you have to out of necessity, learn what allows you to find balance, right? Which is sort of like a privilege because your drop job is inherently stressful that's like, if you think about it just as like a gauge, if like the stress is going up throughout the day, you're hearing about these traumas and these sort of, I don't, there's no other word I could say, kind of grotesque things. Yeah. Like, I've heard things that like no scary, horrible shit, horrible, horrible, like the worst kind of humanity and the details at which like you have to go into. It's like no one could understand how disgusting things can get for human beings and what they have to endure. For sure. But no, like you said, it's like even you as a doctor, you're still a human being. Like, I'm sure there's points where you're just like, I want to just fucking kill that person. You're so disgusted. You're so angry. You're so like, I can't believe this person's out there somewhere. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, but so like that stress gauge is just going up and up. Like you, when I tell people like, I have to do yoga. Like I literally have to go for my evening walk and listen to podcasts about random stuff, not mental health stuff. Yeah. Like I have to, like if I go a day or two and I don't do that and I'm doing, you know, my normal therapy thing, I'm feeling it everywhere. Like I'm feeling tense. I'm feeling anxious. I'm a little snippy. Like yeah. it happens quick because again, the stress doesn't go away in the work. Do you go to therapy yourself all the time? hundred percent. Are you required to, or you just go? I have a strong opinion that it should be like, I, I know you can't like mandate it for that sense, but like, I don't know how, and I've, I've certainly interacted with other mental health professionals who don't, but if you're not getting your own therapy, I have no idea. Like, I've, like you've got to practice what you preach. Is that kind of like an old school thing though? Like the older therapists, like kind of, or like, well, oh, this is just my job and I go home and like, you know, that's it. 
You know, it, that depends because there was a point, depending on how old you're talking, where it was mandatory. So some of those old school, yes, therapists, like you had to be going and getting your own psychotherapy through school. I just feel like that makes sense. I really do. And I had a great advisor when I was going to school. It's like, who would say like in private, he's like, I know it's not mandatory, but I have no idea how some people in this program are not going to therapy. Yeah. That's wild to me. I agree. Like you're going to be a therapist. You're going to be doing this for a living and you're not, you know, sitting on the couch yourself. Yeah. Because you have to learn how to cope too. Right. You got to know your shit. You got to know and work through it. That's how you're going to help people. Like at the end of the day, Um, a lot of people will ask me of like, I have OCD or I have trauma or I have depression. Can I be a therapist? And I say the same thing every time. If you work through your shit, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The only way that you're not going to be a good therapist being depressed or having bipolar or BPD or whatever is if you're not working through it yourself. Then, then now, yeah, you're probably going to be a pretty crappy therapist because things are going to trigger you and you're going to get thrown off and it's going to become about you and not the client. So like your older brother, God rest his soul. Do you refer back to like kind of like a case study almost like what he was going through, especially with his bipolar diagnosis and stuff like that? Was that like kind of like your first like, you know, not like your first patient, but like almost like I'm studying this from afar and seeing what my brother is going through? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I I got to see all the different sort of treatments that were put on him. And again, different era, late 90s into early 2000s for sure. But like you got to see what it's like for someone who certainly fits the category of severe mental health. Right. Like my, my brother wasn't a moderate case. Like he certainly had times where things would kind of swing down for a little bit, but He struggled with sort of the stereotypical full manic episodes Mm -hmm. where he would disappear. You know, he would go on huge benders and he would reappear weeks and months later. And it's like so heartbreaking to see, right? And looking back and thinking about the ways we've changed of how we medicate and use therapy for bipolar now, I I often think about kind of what ifs and stuff because that's uh, my brother, you know? Right. Of course you are. How close were you guys throughout your entire life? Obviously, there's parts where, you know, he's not there. He's going through something horrible. And, you know, you guys grow apart a little bit. But were you guys always, when you guys were around each other, were you like, were you a safe space for him, you think? 100%. Like, he would tell me anything and everything. And, you know, that's sort of, in a way, the grooming of me being the therapist. He would tell me everything that he wouldn't tell my parents like he'd tell me all the details of the things he was doing the drugs he was selling right you know the again how he's skipping out of school in two days but don't tell mom and dad because he's gonna go do this thing so early but we were inseparable like i that's the thing like because we were so much alike in ways like we loved extreme sports and skateboarding and loved again, like taking risks in different ways. It's like, you can see how much we're like, and then we have this major difference of something internal that I'm like, I can't relate. You know, when he would go through mania and even sometimes when he'd be in severe depression, I'd be like, I can't relate to your experience, but obviously I don't want you to be going through it. Right. And then it's like easy. Cause like, obviously you're a kid too. It's like, Oh, like, let's just go skate and like try to figure it out. And it's just like, I can't right now, man. Exactly. Or we go skate and he's 
in a manic episode, stealing stuff from the grocery store and, and then shredding. Do, oh, absolutely. Just la- landing like a Casper flip. Like, how the fuck did you do that? I remember the first time I saw him snowboard off my roof. I remember watching. I'm like, that's that's like a 13 foot drop and you're coming off the top of the roof. And yeah, this yeah. is back in the day where it's like we didn't have phones that film stuff. You, no, it's just, no, no. It's in your it's locked in your brain for yeah. life of like who would think that you're about to snowboard off your roof, 15 foot drop. You never even tested it. And again, you're hitting <laughs> you're hitting like a mute grab first time. Like, all right. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that, too, because it's like I do feel a lot of times people that I've met in my life who have been bipolar one have been some of like the dopest people I've ever met. And this is the the thing about extremes. Is and it they, sucks. They, and I know it right. sucks. It right. sucks. But they teach us something. Yeah, they do. I remember I, I was given part of the eulogy at my brother's funeral. And a lot of the things I talked about is being in awe of the fearlessness. Yeah. Of like so many of us live in chronic fear of failure, of what if I hurt myself or hurt someone to watch somebody be so fearless to the point it was reckless, obviously. Right. There is beauty in that. There is There's something, something beautiful awe. about it. And I think people have to understand that there is a beautiful part of the struggle that people go through. And sadly, they don't really see it. We see it. And it's like, dude, some of the shit that you're doing is amazing. It's like, dude, you just did like a 360 flip on like your second try. Because you were fearless. Yeah. And like, I've had friends who were musicians who had bipolar one and like, they're just shredding the guitar. I'm like, dude, this is something that people long for. Like, you know, but they still have this thing. Right. That just destroys. It just eats them up. And right. They're heroes. Like they're like heroes to me. I'm telling you. And right. I'm sure your brother was to you too. Absolutely. They say, and, they say and all I'm the sure time. He still is. And he still is. Yeah. yeah. I'm someone who's very close to my brothers. The fact that you're even able to be a human being at this point is very admirable. You know, I can't even imagine. Like, I'm about to start crying myself. So like I need to, like I'm thinking about like if something were to happen to one of my brothers and be poor. I I don't know if I'd ever come back from that. I, I pray that I could, but I don't know. You know that your brother is proud of you, right? Yeah, man. I appreciate you. Take time to think about that, I hope. I, I do. I, I really do. And like anyone who's- And your dad there, is too. Appreciate that, my man. Appreciate that. I feel like anyone that's gone through grief, you, you just try your best to carry on their legacy and you have good days and bad days. But you know, when you pause in that reflection, like I, I know, I know they're both proud of me. Good. In my own struggle- as long as you know that too, like, but not oh, in all the good shit that you do. Yeah. It's when yeah. you have bad shit happening to you. Yeah. And when you get through that, they're proud of you for that. That's you know, right. and you have to be proud of yourself. I don't think people give themselves enough credit because, you know, it's you get up three times, but then you have like this major setback, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, listen, like, this is going to happen. This is a lifelong thing. I think a lot of people don't understand that this is going to be something that you're going to deal with for life. You're going to have bad days, but just remember what got you here. And I obviously from your story, I know your, your brother was a big part of what got you here. Sorry. I, I get emotional. when I start thinking about my brothers. I appreciate um, it. I appreciate it for you dealing with, you know, kids who, like you said, you've heard these horrible things and, you know, you deal with kids from all walks of life, humans of all walks of life. I wanted to ask just a medication question. Do you feel that we are 
too quick to start with medication? Do you feel that it's a case-by-case basis? Do you feel that medication has a bad rap? Because I try to ask people, obviously professionals in the field, listen, I tell people I've been on, it's my story. I'm not a doctor, but Lexapro saved my life. You know, I'm just being honest. And Klosnipan saved my life. That's just me. That's just my personal experience. I know a lot of people are, I I can only speak from, uh, you know, from my experience, but from your experience, do you feel that, you know, sometimes we are too quick to prescribe medication or do you think that it's case by case, obviously? Yeah. Overall case by case. I I do think a lot of stigma still remains like around psychotropic medication, like a lot for no good reason. Like every medication in the world has side effects. Yeah, dude, you could take Tylenol and get side effects. It has side effects. Everything, everything has side effects. So, but you'll often hear people say that, like, well, I don't want to get stuck taking this, this pill every day, or what if these side effects? But the bottom line is this we're talking decades and decades of research showing that it's empirically valid and helpful for many mental health conditions. And for some mental health conditions, it's the first line treatment. Meaning that it's usually the first thing you would start even before psychotherapy. Especially severe mental illness. Illness. Exactly. It's like, listen, it's like, are they going to treat a, you know, someone with paranoid schizophrenia different than they treat somebody with panic disorder? Right, right. People have to understand that there's a lot of different moving parts when it comes to, and that's what it goes back to the importance of what you said before, a diagnosis is very important. Exactly. And within that severity and people outside the field don't always understand that of like, I can see two people back to back with anxiety, just generalized anxiety disorder. One, it kind of intrudes upon their life, but they still go to work and maybe they're trouble asking people out on dates, but you know, they're working through it. The other person can barely leave their house, right? They both have anxiety, but severity matters immensely when you're treating someone's mental health. Not always, and I would even argue this, severity matters more often than the diagnosis. And and it's not to like make somebody not feel like, it's not like you're less important. No. You know, you're just as important. It's just absolutely count your lucky stars because you're in a better place than what this other person is going through. Absolutely right. Absolutely. And that, that can dictate medication and what's the first step here. Cause someone coming in with severe anxiety. Yeah. We got to get you set up with a psychiatrist, with your family doctor. We got to get rolling on some medication right. or someone coming in with mild, you know, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Let's talk this out. Let's figure it out. And we'll go from there. See, like for me, it's like, I take clozenpan for, for my panic. Uh, I take 0.5 milligrams every day. It's a very small like dose. You know, a lot of people, even I still face the stigma with it. Like, you have to get off of that. This is like something for you. It's not, it's not good for you. And then I went to, I went to my doctor and I talked to my doctor who I've been with for a while. And I was like, people want me to get off of it. And he goes, all right, let me ask you a question. I go, how's the medication make you feel? I said, it really helps. I go, he goes, okay. And he's looking at me just super <laughs> quiet, like looking just at nodding. me. Like, all right. <laughs> And like, right. I know he's wanting to say, he's like, hey, do any of these fucking people have a degree that you're talking to? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, he's like, all right. So he's like, so when you started taking the medication, did you feel that like, you know, your panic symptoms like kind of went away? And, and you know, obviously with a mixture of therapy and, you know, but does it help you? He, I was like, yeah. And he's like, when you have a sebe- severe panic symptoms and you take your medication, does it help you? 
He goes, yeah. I go, yeah. And he goes, yeah, right? It does. Okay. Don't worry about what other people are telling you. 100%. He goes, and if you are going to change anything in your medication, we're going to do it here. You're not just going to fucking stop medication and do all that stuff. Because that's severely dangerous. People minimize the hell out of that. They're like, I'm just going to stop taking this. It's like, there's almost never a situation where that's going to be recommended. You titrate, you come off of it, uh, again, a safe way. But it, yes, what people are projecting on you is just stigma. That, yeah. That's just, yeah, right. I mean, listen, everyone's ignorant to something. Everyone's ignorant to something. But that, if you could hold up the mirror, you, you would say all you're perpetuating is stigma around yeah. mental health treatments broadly. Because there's a, there's no reason if something's helpful and it's helping you, there is no reason to stop taking it. Yeah. Uh, and then I have one last question. Yeah. Um, do you ever do like couples therapy? I do. Yeah. Shout out to my couples who are out there. <laughs> there you who, go. Who may be tuning in. <laughs> when you have to go to couples, because it's weird when you go to sign up for a therapist, right? They're like, do you prefer a male or a female therapist? Like, do you prefer prefer this? It's like, oh damn! Like, this is like a creative player in a video game. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I yeah, just get yeah. to like build like my therapist. Do you have to feel like you don't side with a man more, even if they're right? I'm not saying that we're always right, but do you have to feel like you have to be like, listen, I have to remain neutral because that's got to be a lot of pressure though, too, just being like. I don't want to come off like misogynistic or I don't want to come off like uh, men rule. We are the leaders of the world. But, you know, is, is that something that you struggle with, too? Like when you're doing like couples therapy? Here's the bizarre thing. And this might blow your mind a little bit. My default is to side with the woman in a stereotypical heterosexual relationship. And here's why. In a female dominated field, it's not even close most women are fantastic therapists, naturally empathetic, compassionate, understanding, social communication skills. On Like, again, of course, individual differences are out there. But you say all these things to say so often that it's easy to see the holes in the guy because I'm a guy who is a therapist where it's like I could almost see the problem in what the guy is perpetrating or adding to the dynamic. So it it's weird, but I almost default in like, yeah, you know, she's right on this. But yeah, yeah. The, the truth in, in the balance and the communication of things is everybody needs their experience validated. E- everybody, even if, you know, it, the perfect example is cheating. Like the thing that needs validated, even on the person who goes out and does the cheating is there were things they experienced often that led to that. It's not to say they should have done the cheating. No one's saying that. No one's saying that behavior is good or beneficial, but there, it's not like this randomly happened. A lot of times they feel minimized or pushed aside or that they don't matter and they're not cared for. They're not getting their wants met. Or they've, again, there's many things that can happen in the dynamic that lead to that behavior. And that needs to be heard, flushed out and validated. I would prefer female therapists in that sense because it's not that I would feel a guy would side with me. I, I, I don't think that's what would happen, but I want to understand women more. That perspective, which that Danny, perspective, 
people because, have, maybe they can help articulate to me, you know, things that, that I'm going through because I feel like uh, I had a conversation with uh, somebody before that I do suffer from some conservative masculinity issues. Sure. You know, it's like, and if for me, it's something that I need feel more comfortable hearing it from a, a, a female therapist. These are the exact reasons often you seek out a specific therapist. Like a lot of women will seek me out as a therapist because they're like, I need a male's perspective here. And I, I get it. And I think that's great. Of course, like I even sort of say, I'm like, I don't know if I'm a great representative over here, but because all of us, again, are unique in our own way in a sense. But I, yeah, I, I have always had, which is something my followers challenge me on. I've always had only women as therapists. Yeah. See, I, I just need to understand, like, I think if people put themselves in a situation to understand their partners more, mm-hmm. like I want to understand my partner as much as possible. So if we were going to go to couples counseling, I would want a female perspective because yeah. it would help me kind of speak their language in a sense and it would help her articulate what she's trying to get towards uh, and through to me. Exactly. It's like people kind of either do one or two things when they seek out any sort of therapist or counselor. They either find the person that they feel the most comfortable with, meaning that if you're a guy and you easily interact with guys, you're close with your father, all these things can kind of add up and they'll be like, I'm going to pick a dude. I'm picking a guy as a therapist. Right. Or you get some insight and you're like, I kind of, I want another perspective. So you get someone from a different cultural background, you get someone who's a woman and these things matter because it of course impacts the lens that this person is going to use psychotherapy and connect with you. For sure. I think it's very important for all couples. If you have the opportunity to partake in some kind of couples therapy, because it could, it could squash a lot of shit early, early, early. And people, I roll a lot about premarital counseling, but Listen, it's going to come out at some point. So yeah, and I don't want it to come, come out, out with four kids. <laughs> right, right. You know? And then do you think later as we progress that schools will start to address mental health a lot differently than they do now? I know they're getting better, but do you, do you think that at some point this will obviously become part of the curriculum, not where you like you send a kid to an office like in the middle of class? I would be surprised in the next decade if it, there's not the continuous growth, growth that we've been seeing. The only thing I'll say is this. It always comes back to an issue of funding. Yeah, it's always, it's always fucking money, man. Money. But like you have to pay to get professionals in the schools. And it's like often schools are underfunded. Or the university's like, nah, we just don't really want to spend the money to hire five more therapists. It's like, yeah, but then, but it's like, you know, it's like, we'll build like another like athletic wing. Right. It's just like, dude, I checked your endowment. It's like $3 billion. Like, what are we doing here? You can't pay for five more therapists, but it, right. You know, how much money are they going to bring in? That's what a lot of the times what it is. When anybody makes an investment, especially on like, you know, I, I refer in this sense to talent. Right. Uh, h- how much money will the talent bring in? Which is, it's, it's a sad world. I will say coming through COVID though, I think it opened a lot of people's eyes again, globally to mental health. And my hope is we continue to ride that wave to be like, this isn't an area you want to cut corners on. You know, no, it's not something you want to cut corners on at all. 100%. And then it's also, it's like, it's impossible to get into a therapist's office right now. 
You better book now, dude. Book now. If you're thinking about going to a therapist tomorrow, book now. It might take you a little while, but just do it. Psychiatrists down here in South Florida are three months out for a psychiatrist. It's everybody. So it's wild. It's, yeah, it's, it's wild. But yeah, I that's can't, I can't imagine how like, booked you are. I was reading though somewhere that uh, you you actually have OCD, right? When were you diagnosed? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. I wasn't diagnosed until I was in my doctorate program. So that oh shit. They were like, yeah, this guy likes homework too much. <laughs> this guy is definitely having plenty of obsessions and intrusive thoughts. Yeah, they they grew out of when I first started seeing clients. I was so overwhelmed and my stress system went through the roof that all these intrusive thoughts I had been having in my life that kind of managed on their own, it became unmanageable. And I like you hate using the word cracked, but I did. My OCD spiked. It spiked and I was in the probably the worst psychological shape I've been in my entire life was actually then, not even through the grief and loss uh, of my brother and my dad, but personally when my OCD first hit that hard because I felt like I couldn't leave. I, I felt trapped. Like I couldn't leave my house. I, so it's literally the worst feeling when you... As a grown man, I couldn't leave my house. And I'm sure when you felt like that too, it's like, what the fuck is happening with me? You, you feel like you're destroying yourself. You're kind of like just waiting to die too, which like kind of sucks. It's, it's just like, yeah, I'm like, all right, well, if I go at this point, I remember the panic attacks were so bad that I was like, if I just go, like, I'll, it'll be just way better. I, I just don't want to feel this anymore. Exactly. And for so many people out there, like if you're going through something mental health wise and you're in that, state. I hope you can hear me and Danny that it can and does get better, but it's a lot better. A lot. A lot of work, time. You're going to feel uncomfortable at times, but again, making those connections. Like I was even going to validate something you said earlier of like sometimes even buying the $20 workbook off Amazon. Like I get it. Maybe you're like, I can't find a therapist. Therapy's too expensive. Yeah. A lot of us can afford 20 bucks on a workbook. When I tell you the knowledge, the activities, the exercises, the the small steps you can start taking are all in that workbook written by an expert. It's almost like it's like listen, like a therapist is a great thing to have, right? It's 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 a beautiful thing to have. It's a, in sadly in this country in this country it's like a luxury. Uh you know, so it's a luxury to have a, a therapist, there's psychiatrists, but don't be afraid to start to work on your own. Because one, it'll help you just get more equipped because some people aren't equipped for therapy as seeing a psychiatrist. Kind of have to build up that courage to kind of even go in there. So, you know, it's something that I recommend. Like you said, don't be afraid to do the work. And my last question before I let you go is, are you happy today? Am I happy? Yes. But I, I like to step back and really assess that. I feel, I'll say this, I feel energized after this conversation. In this moment, I feel like, I could go for a great run and work out. I feel energized. So that's good. That's good. It's weird that sometimes like happiness is a hard thing to define, but in this moment, I feel like uplifted and energized. And, you know, uh, the, one of the main reasons why I asked that question is because it's also for like an answer that you just gave me, right? It's self reflection outside of Instagram, outside of how many likes we have, outside of what our friends are doing, who's more successful than us. Just reflect on what you're actually feeling in the moment. It's very important to ground yourself 
and just say, this is what I'm feeling in this moment. And this is how I'm going to go throughout the rest of my day. I'm going to address it now. I like people to know that it's okay to not be happy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time. Who's happy all no, the time? No, nobody. There's no one. Come There's on. no one. Don't lie to me. I can't deal with that shit. I can't. I can't. It feels inauthentic. You know? It feels inauthentic. It's just inauthentic. It's yeah, inauthentic. You know what I mean? I can barely breathe through my nose right now. I'm not happy about it. But, you know, it's one of those things. But listen, if you want more of Dr. Justin Hooter, okay, listen to his podcast, Drop In with Dr. J. Can you explain a little bit when you started that and how, like, um, honestly, where people can find it? Yeah, so you can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, kind of all the places. I'm lucky enough, the company I'm paired with, Dive Through, which is a great free mental health app, Dive Through. There's a lot of great free mental health apps out there, though. Check another resource, though, if you're looking for something. I can't go to therapy. Dive Through is a great one, but I, I just started, I'm only 10 episodes in. So it, it just started two months ago. We started recording and we're releasing them as we kind of record. So we're rolling with it. Welcome to the dance, baby. It's so fun, man. Isn't this fun? Like it's the best. great conversations, meet people, talk about real shit. There's nothing better. There really isn't. No, it, it really, it really isn't. You know, like I say, I tell people all the time, I have guests on here. It's, it's more therapeutic for me than it is than it is for anybody else. So like I, I I've finagled a job where I get to have like free therapy sessions. You're a smart man. <laughs> that is smart. Hey, you gotta you gotta work with what you got. You gotta be the ultimate hustler. Yeah. I to. feel the same. I use all the connections I got. All these experts come in teaching me about sleep and stuff that I'm like, I didn't know that. Didn't know that. Like I hear you. Um, where can people find you on the internet? I'm out there. So you can follow me on TikTok uh, at a modern therapist, all one word. Also Instagram at a modern therapist. I make silly, goofy videos every day. I like to joke around is normally my personality. So you might go on to TikTok and be like, why is this dude got a half million followers and he's just joking all the time? But yeah, well, who's that hot therapist talking about stuff? Who's that guy? If only, if only. No, 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 no. Come on. I like Come bringing on, humor into mental health. I feel like that's... That's why I started this show. That's it. I said there is a there is a touch of levity to when, you know, I was having a couple of manic episodes and like thinking a drug dealer was coming to my house when they weren't. Like, you know, like that story's fucking funny to me. I don't care what anybody says. It, it goes back to like, if, if you can't find the bits of humor in your life, like what's the alternative? that everything's just sad and serious all the time. I'm the same way. Things, yeah. things can be funny as a way to work through, but we don't want to use it always as a defense either. But that's the balance. That's the balance we strike. You, you, can't, you can't live your life like it's like an episode of Game of Thrones. Like you're, We won't make it. As a, you as won't a make it. You, it's, it can't be that serious. It can't be that intense. It, you it, know, yeah. And uh, you know the reason I think comedians and, you know, people such as myself is like, we've had trauma in our lives, you know, but like being able to be an observationalist and find the subtle humor and things that are just so drastically serious too often. I need to sleep at night. <laughs> it's just what it is. That's what it is. Dr. J, thank you so much for your fucking time, man. I'm sorry if I kept you longer than, I, than you had to be, but uh, I really appreciate it. A modern therapist on all social media, right? Yep. And then make sure to go uh, check out um, his podcast, Drop In with Dr. J. Thank you so much for your time. You don't understand how important that is to me. I know 
people's time are very valuable. So I appreciate it. Do you have anything planned for the future that like future projects coming out or are you just settled in? If anyone out there wants to see me at VidCon, I got the invite as a creator for VidCon in Anaheim. That's midsummer. That'd be cool. If you want to see me in person, talk about mental health stuff. Who wouldn't? I'll be there. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Again, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate, entertainment. Ah!